Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. And welcome to a live edition of Mike Up Sports, a show that goes in-depth with the people who build our sports community. And if you'd like to contribute to this conversation, feel free to drop us a comment on YouTube uh, throughout this podcast. Joining me is someone who I wanted to bring onto this show since I started this podcast series a year ago. It's Brianna Edwards, a graduate of Minneapolis North Providence College and now a basketball coach, educator, and business owner. You may have seen her on the sidelines last year for Creighton Durham Hall. Hopefully, we'll get to do so again this winter. We'll see how everything <laughs> pans out with this pandemic. Uh, but an amazing story, and one of my dear friends, Brianna, it's amazing. We've known each other for over 10 years. Yep. <laughs> and we have. I'd you like to insert th- the clip from the first time you've met me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, except it's in standard definition, so uh, it would look a little, I don't know. Well, going back 10 years, I had hair. You're ageless, uh, but uh, I think only one of us has aged gracefully since then, but just to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to, and what you've made of this unprecedented year? Um, so what I have been up to, uh, I launched uh, two businesses this year, which would be insane to typical person to think like, what do you mean you launched two businesses this year? So I launched my spice company in April, which is Love It Seasoning that focuses on um, controlling your sodium level for the benefit of uh, people who have hypertension, diabetes, or different things. So it has less than 1% sodium. And I was very strategic about that just because my mom has hypertension and I wanted to create a product and something that she was able to enjoy and not have to worry about her, you know, her levels increasing. And so it has less than 1% sodium and has zero calories. And I have three different flavors. Um, Next month, I will be launching the all organic version of it, which will give people who are the people that are super health conscious that now it has zero chemicals in it whatsoever. Um, Even though my other product, excuse me, has no MSG. Also, I launched my hair um, care and um, business. Um, hair and beard oils and so Shatice Naturals kind of focuses on scalp stimulation and growing your hair long and all those great different things and then um, 33 degrees being my beard oil is what uh, allows your beard to be basically moisturized and focuses on breakage and things like that and so those are the business things that I've been working on Um, hopefully I'll get to relaunch my podcast soon talking spit you've tuned in a couple times to hear some of my conversations with that I am working on two books I would love to get those done by the end of next year. Hopefully, um, that would be great. One being uh, autobiography, but I'm turning it into urban fiction. And then also one being on focusing on student athletes and their experiences. Um, I'm a special education teacher full-time at Harvard Preparatory, uh, which is in North Minneapolis. And then, of course, she said I coach at Creighton Durham Hall. And I coach for Minnesota Stars. And then I train athletes on the side. So I don't know how I eat. I don't know how I live because that sounds like a lot of different things that I'm doing. But yeah. 
I think we all find a way to make it work because up until the pandemic, I had a foot in the door in several avenues. I was supposed to be doing my third season of Major League Baseball, and I hold a few other gigs as well. And one of my friends is going, I have no idea how you devote all the time to this, but I'm sure it will all come together at the appropriate time for what you're trying to do. And you mentioned the podcast. Of course, you've made a couple of guest appearances on Malik Elamine's podcast. And people who've hung around you know you are big into basketball, big into sports. And I think the most gratifying or satisfying part of it was seeing Crystal and Emil Jihad, someone who you went against for all those years in the Minneapolis City Conference, (laughs) make remarks about how knowledgeable you were and how you just kept going at your buddies with all these facts and just you came off well researched i think they were impressed at the amount of knowledge you have about the nba the lakers yeah. kobe and lebron and it's clear you take it seriously so oh absolutely and i honestly i was I, and the funny thing is a lot of people don't know i was disappointed at that podcast because i have not physically sat down and watched basketball since kobe passed away so um and people are like, oh my God, you're being dramatic. But I don't think anyone understood how important Kobe Bryant was to me as an athlete. Growing up without my father um, being there and being present, um, my father spent some years in prison. Um, he stole some different um, illegal substances that caused him to be in prison. And so not having a father figure and then identifying myself to a person that not only favors my father, Kobe Bryant looks like he favors my, my, my real biological father. And the mentality of who he was allowed me to get to so many different things with my sport. And so losing him was like, it was like 12 year old Brianna died as well. Like the day that I picked up a basketball, but I lost who made me who I am. And so it was really hard to enjoy basketball since Kobe passed away. So I wasn't as knowledgeable as I would like about things that are transpiring currently. I've been watching here and there or whatever, but I have yet to fully physically watch a game from start to finish since Kobe passed. And so I wasn't impressed with my thing. I was happy because I'm like, okay, people still think that I'm knowledgeable, but now I'm excited because it lit the fire in me wanting to even talk about sports and debate them again. And so I was a little scared because I'm like, since Kobe passed, I didn't want to talk as much because I was a little devastated by his death. But now I'm like, you know what? Like, this is a part of my purpose and this is something that I enjoy doing. And there are not a lot of women that can compete with me. Actually, there's I. I don't think there's a lot of women that compete in the sense that I do when it comes to men with debating sports. I think women talk sports, but I'm really, really passionate about That's what they call me, you know, baby Stephen A. I don't know why. I think the name is suiting for me. But yeah, so I'm excited to see what the future has for me. Um, I have a permanent spot on Malik Elamine's podcast until the NBA um, concludes. So that's great. So you'll see me every day talking about the podcast. I mean, talking about um, the NBA finals. And um, yeah, and then hopefully I can get talking fit back off and allow me to talk about different topics as well, because we did just have a topic on Malik Elamine's podcast about um, the Breonna Taylor situation, which was super refreshing to be able to discuss that because me being a Black woman, it's important for me to uh, let people know that I matter and um, she matters and her, her death was something that was so senseless that she even occurred. And so I'm excited about the future. I can't wait to be on everyone's podcast and then have my own as well continue to keep taking off what attracted you to the sport do you remember the first moment where you said i want to take a basketball 
honestly, the first moment, so it's actually a really interesting story. Um, I dibbled and dabbled for a little bit playing basketball. The first time that I actually really, really wanted to play basketball and I realized that I wanted to be an athlete was I was sitting in the gym. I was in the sixth grade. I think I was in the sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. And I was only shooting around because there was this boy that I thought was really, really cute. So I was trying to get his attention and like play basketball and chase him around. I was like, oh, yeah. I was awful, by the way. And so um, my best friend, who's my best friend now, um, who was my best friend at the time, she's like, hey, do you want to come play with my basketball team? And I was like, what are you, basketball girl? I don't play no basketball. I'm just trying to be out here because he's here. And so she invited me to her practice. Um, I loved it. I was awful, though. I was terrible. I loved it. I was like, oh, I like this sport. So up to the time that I picked up a basketball, I was a, um, a competitive dancer um, and a competitive gymnast. So I did that. So I was a kid who competed in gymnastics tournaments and dance tournaments. So if anyone didn't know that, that's what I did before I picked up a basketball. And so around 12, I played for that team. I was awful. Um, and then I wound up trying out for Farview, um, which is a park in North Minneapolis. I didn't make it the first time, um, and it was the fall. And so I came and tried out again in spring um, in seventh grade. And the coach put me on the team. I was like, oh, I must have got better. I didn't get better at all. Um, long story short, down the line, um, he became a mentor for me. He let me know that I was the only kid that he's seen that ever came back after being cut. And it showed the level of heart and dedication that I had. Um, after that, of course, uh, I played high school basketball after so Seventh grade is when I fully started playing basketball competitively. And then eighth grade is when I transitioned over to North and I started playing for freshman and JVT. So this is going to be a pretty quick, quick seventh, eighth, seventh grade, first year, eighth grade playing um, high school basketball already. And then ninth grade, eighth grade, yeah, eighth grade is when I set my mom down. I let her know that I did not want to dance anymore. And she was like, what do you mean? She's like, if you have to choose between basketball and dance, what would you choose? And I chose to play basketball. And it was the best decision that I ever made in my life because um, even me being on the first team that I ever played on, a lot of those girls didn't play college basketball. I was the only one on my team to go Division One, And that to know that I was the 12th individual on that bench and to be a, um, the person who I am now and saying that I got paid to play basketball. But I picked up a basketball because initially, uh, because I thought a boy was cute, but ultimately because I realized I can pave away from myself. Basketball was the first time I ever thought about going to college. I didn't even think about college until I picked up basketball. I knew I was going to go to dance school, probably performing art school or something, but I didn't know that I was going to go to college until I picked up basketball. Whatever happened to that boy you were trying to woo over when you first picked up the basketball? I don't, you know what's crazy? I don't even know who the boy is now. Like, I'm like, when I look back, I'm like, who was I flirting with in the gym to try to get their attention? Like, I mean, I thank him because I became this athlete that I am now, but ultimately, I don't even know who it was. I was like, I was just out there trying to get some attention from boys, which is absurd, but it ultimately changed my life, so I'm thankful. I wonder how many other female athletes got a similar start. You might have an interesting yeah, prologue to your- probably a little unique. Right, if unique. you get on that autobiography or a biopic, who knows? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the start, um, but basketball has saved my life in so many instances, um, being that I lived a double life and I hung out with the wrong crowd and did things that uh, I wouldn't say that I'm not proud of because I think it shapes who I am as an individual, and so those times literally prevented me from being in positions that someone who wasn't an athlete 
probably would have been in jail or probably would have gotten in a lot of trouble or would have got kicked out of school. And I remember vaguely, and I have actually never publicly told this story, so you'll be the first. You're getting an exclusive. That will be in my book when I finally do write it. But my sophomore year, I almost got kicked out of North High um, for gang-related activity. Um, the only reason why they didn't kick me out of North High was because I was an athlete. Um, they set me down in the office and they let me know. They said, Brianna, if you continue to keep hanging out with these individuals, you would no longer be a student at North High. Now, granted, you're talking to a kid that has a 3.7 GPA, right? I'm not a stupid kid. I'm just a kid that hang out with the wrong crowd and do things on my free time. And so i thankful that the individuals that I hung out with, they kind of befriended me and they looked out for me through the rest of my high school, but they made sure that they didn't want to ruin the opportunity that was presented in front of me. And so me knowing that me playing the sport of basketball is the reason why the people that I grew up with decided that the lifestyle that I was living wasn't beneficial for me. And I, I'm super blessed to say that they did that because I think that how loyal I am as a person, I would have never walked away from them just because of out of the years and the history that we had. And so, yeah, I almost got expelled from North High um, when I was 15 years old as sophomore. Something you mentioned in that recollection, I feel is poignant in a sense where you talked about hanging out with the wrong people or having some gang affiliations, but maintaining a 3.7 GPA, which flies in the face, I think, of the stereotypes, the conventional wisdom that we have with people who get caught up in Mm -hmm. those circumstances. And so what helped you get out of it? You talked about how you were able to defriend and I don't know how that turns out. I don't, I can't speak from experience, but I know that can be difficult at times. So what helped you turn the corner, focus on basketball and get to where you are? Actually, also it was them. One of the guys, one of the leaders in the group, and it's really funny because my senior year, when I graduated from college, I wound up going to a baby shower of someone that I hung out with. Um, that's a relative of mine. And I asked him, like, man, why did y'all, like, leave me like that? Why did y'all kick me out and just stop hanging out with me? He's like, where did you? He said, what just happened last week? And I was like, I graduated from college. He's like, exactly. And so ultimately, it wasn't my decision. Um, I mean, I, I stuck to the decision after, right? And I realized, like, you know what, Brianna, you really, really focus on this. But in the beginning, it wasn't my decision. It ultimately was the people that loved me and supported me and seeing that I had the potential to do something more than what I was exposing myself to. And that's another thing. Like, I tell athletes all the time, if you don't have, if you're hanging out with the wrong crowd and they know that you have a lot to lose and they don't kick you out or they don't move you away from or shield you from harm, they're not the right people to be around because the individuals that I was around literally knew that I didn't fit in in that aspect. I was just there out of loyalty loyalty pure loyalty is the only reason why we hung out the way that we did I don't think even me talking some conversations with the guys that I used to hang out with back in my past they said I ne he, I was talking to one of my friends he said you never fit you never fit in and that like it just didn't make sense that you were there like you're a kid who and like I was in a gifted talented program in North High right I had to test into this program so I'm in the you know Plumatech which is based on kids who are really good that's in the STEM program the STEM field and so knowing that I had that background it didn't even make sense that I'm out here, I'm fighting and holding on to weapons and smoking weed and doing all these crazy things. I look back at it, I'm like, wow, that was a part of my reality. And I'm happy that basketball took me from that reality because it gave me an avenue of something I never would have imagined. I've been to 37 out of 50 states solely on basketball. I lived out of the country, paid, played at the highest level that you ultimately can play at because of a sport. And I would not be in this position if I didn't have that sport. So, yeah.
looking back, is there something you recall and you talk about how shocked you are that you went through that phase? Were you going back and just think to yourself, I can't believe I went through that or I did that? It's like a out-of-body experience. It's like taking who I am right now and I'm looking at myself. Like I'm looking at, you know, 14-year-old Brianna like, oh my God, you were really doing some crazy stuff, right? And so it's sometimes I just feel like it's me. <laughs> I feel like that person just didn't exist. But it is me because when I get a little upset, you can see that Brianna, she still has that fire there. But honestly, it's just, it, it, it's humbling to know that I came from that and who I am now, right? To have two degrees, to have half my PhD finished if I want to go back and finish it. I would have never knew that a kid from North Minneapolis that grew up dirt poor, um, youngest of four, you know, my mom, who um, is a mother recovering crack, uh, uh, she had a cocaine addiction. She was a crackhead. That's a, the, the urban term. My father, who went to prison for selling narcotics. My brother, who's still in prison. My other brother, who struggles with alcoholism. My sister dealing with the things that she dealt with with her addiction. So I could never imagine that me, Brianna, who came from all these circumstances and these experiences, will be in a position that I am to say that I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. I've never been arrested. I can do things that others have never done. And it's like God has placed me in a position to be extremely blessed. And I'm thankful for me being the one that he chose because I didn't have to be the individual that I am today, right? I could have fell into the same ways that, you know, I see my siblings do, right? And I, I watched my siblings and I admired my siblings. My siblings are one of the most talented, brilliant people that I've ever seen in my life. They just made some, you know, some poor decisions that ultimately cost them some different things. And so, I'm super blessed to be in my position and it all is because of me picking up an orange basketball. Picking up an orange basketball in hopes of flirting with a boy. Yep. <laughs> That's not going to get out of my head now. So if he's out there, if he's still around and recognizes you, I, I hope you... <laughs> I'm going to cut him a check. I hope you can connect because it's like, yeah, I, I think, I think he'd be tickled in some regard to know that, Hey, <laughs> I, I haven't met career. this woman, but I got her in. Uh, but you mentioned how you were able to use basketball and you're not the only person who's told me how the sport helped you to avoid a potentially destructive life situation. Mm -hmm. But you did go to a high school that at the time had a strong pedigree. Yeah. You know, Faye Johnson Patterson was there. They had the five state tournament championships. Of course, mm -hmm. you came close to winning one in 2009. You also had several Division I athletes, Tamara Moore, Maury Horton, Maya Johnson, Tisa Mitchell, Crystal Taylor. And I know there's more. I didn't go to the school. Oh, but there's, yeah. I, when I, I was, grew up. I was the uh, 17th Division I athlete. So it's 16 more people in front of me. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Faith added two more with uh, Tyshana and Alina, even though they went to De La Salle. Yeah. 19 D1 athletes from one coach. That's not too shabby. But you have the strong pedigree. So I imagine you heard about all the championships and all the state yeah, tournaments absolutely. and how North basketball was the ticket and, you know, at least for the boys, it is again. And I'm hoping at some point we'll see the girls uh, resurrect, so resurrect their status because I watched some of the tapes that Tamar Moore sent me and 
those were strong teams. They're we talked phenomenal. about Paige, right? I don't they know, like, they, Leo. Would they be the same? Would they be in the same sentence as Paige Beckers and Hopkins? Hard to say because it was the '90s, but you can't yeah, I, honestly you can't diminish like, what they did. I feel like, and this is not knocking what they've done, and you know, and Hopkins and the and the and the different programs that have developed, right? But I'm also going to point out that without North Community High School, those programs would not exist because think of the athletes that left North High after I left. They went on to create the powerhouse at De La Salle, went on to create the powerhouse at Hopkins. Hopkins was winning those state championships before TT, Sierra, TT Starks got there. And so knowing that, even Cooper, right? Two of my athletes that played with me went to Cooper and created this powerhouse program. And so I, it's kind of disrespectful a lot. I feel a little disrespectful sometimes that my Almirada does not get considered in the greatest school of all time. It is the greatest school of all time because not only you got to think of the, what we face as athletes, just being able to go to school, right? I don't know how many times we had, we have magnetic doors at North High. I don't think people know that. You can't get around North without having a key because they block our school because how many times people that ran into our school shooting or someone that's been shot running into our school, us being searched randomly because they want to make sure no one has guns and drugs, like all those things that we were exposed to, we still were successful in something that people didn't take as serious as we did. Like basketball saved my life. There's some kids that play basketball for fun. I had no choice but to play because I would have never went to college if I didn't pick up a basketball. I would have never had the opportunity to experience what I did if I never picked up a basketball. And I know so many of my teammates, so many of my friends, my guy friends, who were, I have a guy friend who's the most talented person I've actually I've ever seen ever seen he's never went to college because he he fell victim to his circumstances having to take care of his family selling drugs on the side because that's what he all he knew and so when I think about North High I think about North Minneapolis we are the staple of Minnesota and that's I can say that with 100% confidence that our men and women's basketball programs are unmatched like that's the reason I wanted to go to North when the first time I ever seen North High they blew a team out by 90 points it was a Target Center. I was 11 years old. My sister was going to Henry at the time and went to Henry. It should be a doubleheader that did. Imagine this. Listen to this, Mike. It had two high school teams. The rivalry was so competitive because Henry and North High had so many state championships amongst them on the boys' side that they used to rent out the Target Center just to play their games. Did you know that? The games were played at the Target Center. So high school games, not state, just in-season high school games at, at Target Center. So they would have the girls play first. The girls' varsity team played first, and then they had the boys' varsity team play first. I got there early, and I watched uh, Maya Johnson them kill Henry by 90. And I was like, what? Who are these girls? And that was the idea. When I was 12, I wrote on my door, North High Polar, in glitter, because I knew that I was going to be a polar. I made that decision at 11 years old that I was going North High because I was so proud to see these women just killing it. And then to see the... The history, my grandma went to North High, the original building, not the one that they have now. So it's just like all those different things. It just embodies and who who we are as individuals and what the inner city means to, to Minnesota. So I mean that going a ramble, but I there, no one matches the the legacy that North Community High School has created for Minnesota. No one. Brianna, I'm okay if you ramble because I know you like to talk. So I figure <laughs> we're going to get some exposition <laughs> into your life story which is a good thing as I think a lot of people a lot of people don't understand some of the things you went through I certainly didn't know that you had to battle you know 
gang affiliations, addictions, and some other things. Then again, I know my life was a little more sheltered, but I never really got into that stuff. Well, the smell of certain chemicals like cigarettes uh, abhors me, so I stay away from it. It, it, um, it but, It's so much more, and I really wish that I can tell my story a lot more for individuals. It's like so much more of even being molested at seven by my stepbrother, right? Um, me being raised with an alcoholic of my stepfather and cleaning up his vomit at eight or nine years old because my mom is just over his mess. Like people don't know what basketball meant for me and what means the kids who are like me. Like it wasn't nothing else for us. There wasn't nothing like being having to go to a church to get food because we don't have food at home having to sit on the ground in my house because they just shot my brother in my house prior. I don't even think I told you this either. I witnessed my brother get shot in front of me at eight. I was standing right next to my brother when he got shot at 14 years old. And so all those things is reason why I feel that basketball saved my life. I was, I was only one decision away from having a whole different story. So, yeah. Sorry, Mike, I'm, I'm throwing some, I'm shocking you. Mike's like, wait, what? What do you mean? You're just so bubbly and all these things happen. And what the heck? <laughs> it's only shocking because I've never heard it before. And one of my best friends, same thing. Uh, she went to Michigan State. I don't know if you've heard of her, Nia Holly. She yep. told her life story, grew up in North Minneapolis. So, you know, she She's idolized Taylor Hill, Sorry. right? And so, but she wanted to be a Minneapolis kid. I mean, Hopkins worked out. I can't, I don't think you can argue with what she did there yeah. and help. She's actually on the coaching staff the at Green Durham Hall, by the way, if you didn't Ooh, know. Oh, we got the scoop. Well, I knew Crystal was making a move. I do follow social media and, and, and Crystal, of course, good friends with her mother. I don't know if I should be saying this because we're live, but I don't care. <laughs> if, if any of you have a, if they've got a problem with it, I'm sure they'll let me know, but it goes to what you were saying. It's a small community, but uh, Nia, and, is there going to be any room on that bench? Because you've got yourself, Tisa, Nia's oh, there. We're going to be fine. We're going to be great. I mean, is there going to be good? You're going to need a second row of benches just to fit all the coaches at this rate. We're going to be good. We're going to be great. <laughs> I will say this, though. If there's ever a, like, a coaches uh, versus players uh, pickup game, uh, those players are in trouble. Oh, yourself, Mia, Tisa, I, Crystal. She's still got some handles. Oh, I told them they would be in trouble. I said, don't let these old knees fool you, y'all. Okay, I was a walking double, double. Okay, easy. So, <laughs> but you know, Nia told a similar story to Spartan Vision, the in-house team at Michigan State, and I'm going, wow. But it's not something I asked when I first met you. I figured, well, here's a someone who's good at basketball and I remember interviewing you right after you lost which probably isn't the best way to introduce I myself that interview by the way I don't I like it, it either because I, I, I hate it I, I don't like it. it either because I was so green <laughs> I think you did a great job you did a phenomenal job and I've said this to uh, like my one regret with you and with Nia and so it's weird how some of my best friends from basketball are players that I didn't cover all that much and I wish I could go How back. How ironic. Say, yeah. Well, but. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. It's not your fault. <laughs> a lot of people well, don't give me the credit that I deserve as an athlete. Well, and, and 
Well, and if you've gotten to know Nia, she is very uh, forward thinking. That's not the right verb I was thinking, she's but a, very she's a, compassionate. She's a great person. Yeah, she's you're a right. Great so person. she, phenomenal even, human being. Even in high school, where she's wondering, oh, if I could have had Instagram and what page is getting now, what would have been different for me. Yeah. But she, I remember her telling me she was thrilled that I was covering her cousins because she's related to, you know, Sean, uh, the Johnson family and Andrea Adams at Minneapolis uh, Como Park. And yeah, I think she said, yeah, we were getting all this coverage. So I was glad that you were covering athletes that didn't get as much TV time, but very aware of her surroundings. And I could say the same about you, of course. So even if you were salty about me not covering your games, and you, again, you have to remember, I was still green, still learning the ropes of who the teams or the players to look for. And I was in college, so (laughs) I didn't really venture out to Minneapolis until I got to college or a few years afterward because, you know know what? I sort of bought into the stereotypes about Minneapolis North. Now, there are certain things I won't do over there. But, I mean, I... Some of them stereotypes, okay? I'm a North Minneapolis kid, born and raised. Believe some of them. Some of them are true. (laughs) You ask me which ones, and I'll let you know which ones are absolutely true, okay? (laughs) I will tell you. Yeah, but I'm glad that I didn't submit to it to the point where I'm not covering games. Now, oh, absolutely, yeah. again, as I said, I'm, I'm still going to be smart about what I'm doing over there, but I will never be too afraid to go to Minneapolis North as I have for the last several years with the boys team. You know, I've built a strong rapport with oh, yeah, Mackenzie and Trent Wits. And I mean, I got to say I covered a professional football player out of it, Tyler Johnson, who, well, I think he would have had a great basketball career too, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think he would have. uh, Now I'm rambling, but I was going to say, who were your idols? You talked about watching Maya Johnson destroy an opponent by 90. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you got to hear about Tamara and Mari Horton and Mm -hmm. all the other big names who accomplished what you did, found a way to get out of the system, avoid being a statistic, and use that to empower future women in your community and elsewhere. It's not just North Minneapolis where folks like yourself have to overcome these obstacles. So who are the athletes? Yeah. So like, so so I'm in a different situation. So the athletes at North are like big sisters. I've seen them so much. It wasn't like I idolized them. I wanted to create my own legacy like them, right? Like all we talked about all the time is we watched, you know, Tierra Murdoch, you know, Mari Horton, Tamara Moore, Tisa Mitchell, you know, we talked about Tyree Bronson, Maya Johnson, Daria Frazier. That's all I heard my entire career. I was like, I want to be in the conversation of those names. And even if you ask Faith uh, Johnson Patterson, it was like eighth grade. And I was like, I'm taking my team to state. And I looked at him like, who is this kid? This kid ain't even on bar. What? This kid is nuts. I was that. 100% confident that I was going to lead my own team to a state championship. And I was set on it. I was like, I am, I love hearing about them, but when she talked about people, I want her to mention Brianna Edwards. You want to mention Brianna Edwards, right? But when I say who were the people that I admired a lot as an athlete, of course, uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, Tracy McGrady. I love Tracy McGrady. I love Tracy McGrady just as much as I love Kobe. And people don't even know that. Tracy McGrady was my favorite player before Kobe. And then I wound up seeing Kobe play against um, 
Minnesota Timberwolves in the Western Conference Finals, and he destroyed them the first game. And I was like, who is this guy? And that's when I became a Kobe fan. So Really? You were like, who is this guy? He already had, what, three titles by I that point? You gotta think. You're talking about a kid that doesn't have cable. So oh, I okay. So you, local games. you couldn't watch SportsCenter or TNT. Yeah, I couldn't watch any of those things. I didn't have no cable, so I only got to watch whatever came on local TV. And so I got to see Trace McGrady all the time because he played against the Timberwolves, right? And so then, you know, my mom wound up getting this little sports package that allowed me to watch some of the games because she seen how obsessed I was. But if the rain started, then the satellite would go out. So I could only watch so many games. But yeah, Tracy Grady was my all-time favorite. It's a, I met the Kobe great Bean Bryant. And then uh, on the women's side, I actually, and I, also, I was a Derrick Rose fan in high school. Extreme Derrick Rose fan. I seen him play live my sophomore year, his senior year in high school. He played against Sharon Collins. So Simeon wound up playing what school did Sharon Collins go to? Crave, Cove, whatever it is. So we used to go to a tournament, the Martin Luther King tournament in Chicago, and I seen Derrick Rose play against Sharon Collins, and I was like, who is this guy? So I was obsessed with Memphis. I thought I was going to Memphis. They're like, me and Derrick Rose are going to get married because, you know, that's what I was a kid idolizing. And then the woman's side, I loved Candace Parker. So when you made me interview Candace Parker, I was beyond nervous. She had no idea I was nervous, but I was sweating. If she would have lifted up that suit jacket, it was a sweat mark that was as big as the Atlantic Ocean, okay? Because Candace Parker, I watched her since she was in high school. Like when she had a little headband and her little curl under, and I'm like, I was obsessed with Candace Parker. So Candace Parker, Sneaky Kitchen. Um, of course, Maya Moore was someone that I idolized because it was hard to play against her. Yeah, those would be the people that I like really, really – Likes and then someone who will be surprising would be Tayshawn Prince. I loved his game. I was like, I love Tayshawn Prince's game because he just did everything for Detroit. So I was like, that's how I'm going to be for Minnesota, for, for Minneapolis North. I'm going to be Tayshawn Prince. I'm going to be the person that does everything. And so those are my players. I remember, right, the interview with Candace, and <laughs> it'd be funny. And I know, you know, you forged your own career path and have kind of mm -hmm. gone down the road. But if we got you back into the fold in the WNBA and the media ranks, I'm wondering how you'd handle Candace Parker this time around. I'll be confident. I'll be way better. I wouldn't be this little <laughs> giddy little girl. I was so giddy. And then she had her daughter with her and I was like, Oh my God, I got her so cute. It was just so, it was funny, but nah. Um, yeah. Well, well, if it makes me feel any better, I didn't realize the players are in tune with, you know, their fellow teammates and opponents, but they're also cognizant of us too, because I had Delisha Milton Jones on and she <laughs> recalled how green I was when I got started in the yeah. WNBA. And she's like, yeah, you were trying to, you, know, you were trying to be respectful, professional, courteous, but we could tell, I could tell you were still learning the ropes and now we're buddies. And it, it's just funny how, <laughs> you build all these friendships, even in the pros, like these are women who'd have no reason to keep in contact with me, but oh, you know, we, yeah. we do. And, you know, I'm pen pals with our Minty Harrington. I never would have expected that. Uh, Lindsay Whalen and I, we say hi to each other when we cross paths because, you know, when she's uh, scouting and I'm covering games that she's scouting and <laughs> was it Kelly Roislett told me it, it's not just the high school coaches, the college coaches, a lot of them will type in my name to see if I have covered a player that they are taking a look at. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I've told many 
guests of mine in basketball. I put myself in a hole because if I stop covering basketball games, yourself and all these others, players, coaches are going to start looking for me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Do you recall, speaking of college, when you got your first offer, how big a deal that was to you? Because you spoke about basketball saving your life, giving you a chance to play division one, giving you a chance to go to college for free. Do you recall the first offer you got, how excited you were, and what ultimately led you to play for Providence? Um, okay, I think the first initial offer that I got was like a unver- like a, a verbal offer, was from University of Denver. Um, I wound up receiving something in the mail, and the coach was like, and I was like, are they sure they got me right? And my mom called and was like, yep, we're talking about Brianna. They offered me like a, a verbal offer and I was like okay I've never went to Denver I guess I was super excited I was like okay all right this is cool but I was a kid that was set on playing in a big conference like I said if I'm gonna go to college I'm not going to no mid-major D1 and um, I played with um, NC Heat for two years so two summers my freshman and my sophomore year so I was getting recruited by some really good schools you know Creighton uh, I mean sorry um not cream. What is it? Cream. 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 You would have looked Craig good in purple and gold, me. though. Yeah. Cream was uh, recruiting me. Uh, Tulsa was recruiting me. TCU was recruiting me. Um, uh, I don't even remember. To be honest, I was so Toledo was recruiting me. It was like all these small Division One schools, like Oakland and all. I was like, ah, I don't really like this. I feel like you have a way more big, bigger letter than these little letters and so I ultimately made the decision to leave um all of my friends that I was playing with because I was playing with Megan Knight, Taylor Hill, Mandy Polk, my team was stacked we were a really good team all of us went D1 by the way but um Aphesia Holmes I played with Aphesia Holmes too in the summer and so I made the decision that I wasn't getting the recruiting that I wanted um it was nothing against the program that I was playing with I think that playing for um Paul Hill was great playing with Taylor was great it gave me a lot of exposure but I wasn't getting what I needed. And I wanted to be seen as a major conference. So I did some research myself. My mom and my dad are originally from New York. And so I emailed a coach. Um, I asked my coach P, uh, which is Coach Johnson's husband, John Patterson. I asked him, I said, hey, well, do you know any New York teams? It was my uh, junior year. And he was like, New York teams? I was like, yeah, like I just need a new AU team. And he gave me the name Gaucho. And I was like, okay. So I went on my mom's computer as long as it took. And I Googled the Gaucho. And so I sent an email to the program director, like, hey, this is, I'm Brianna Edwards. I'm a kid from Minnesota. I'm looking to play in New York. Um, I sent him some game film of me. My people like, wait, what? This, you're 16 years old. You did all of this? I sent him some game film, sent him my cell phone number. He wound up calling me the next day. And he's like, well, you know, I coach a, he said, I coach a 16U team, but I want you to play for a 17U team because you're going into your senior year, whatever. And so he, rec- he said he didn't like the 17U coach. He recommended me to a guy named Alexis Smith. And so Alexis Smith wound up calling me, having a conversation. He wanted to fly me out to North Carolina to play in the Deep South Classic. He seen my film. And he was like, heck yeah, I'll put you on my team. And um, um, long story short, Alexis Smith wound up being someone that went to middle school with my mom. So it was really interesting how it worked out that my AAU coach that I wound up playing for in New York wound up going to middle school with my mom. And I went there. And then that's when I started getting recruited by Big E. And as soon as I got my first Big East letter, I was ecstatic. St. John's was the first person that sent me a letter. And then it was Pitt. Um, then it was Providence. Um, then it was USF. 
And I was like, I, and I was like, I want to stay in the East Coast, like East Coast. So I was like really set. I thought I was going to go to St. John's, and I'm going to lie. That was a school that I ultimately wanted to go to. Um, and then it would have been James Madison it would have been the second school that I wanted to go to. Uh, I really liked the coach at James Madison, but they stopped recruiting me, you know, politics, things that happened. But Providence was just very persistent. Um, my coach is now the assistant coach at St. John's. He was very persistent. Like, he was hitting me up all the time, emails, checking out all my games. And I just seen how interesting that he was in me. And so when um, Phil Seymour came to see me play in the open gym, he offered me right on the spot and said, I would like to offer you a scholarship. And I hugged him. It was so weird because I was just so tired of this recruiting process. And then I got home probably about three or four days later. I'm like, you know what, Mom? I'm ready to make my decision. She's like, what? I was like, yep. She's like, where are you going? I said, Providence. She said, Providence. I mind you, I've never been to the campus. I was, I'd never been to the campus up to this point. I didn't even, my official visit was probably maybe two weeks after that. And um, I had, I went to go, I was in Delaware. I had just got back from Delaware and I was like, I'm over this. Um, so I went, to, I went to visit Delaware. It was a beautiful campus. It was nice. I met Elena Deladon. She was playing was volleyball say, at the time. You were that, you were that close she to was, playing alongside Deladon. Yeah, she was playing volleyball at the time. Yep, I so, remember because she uh, had been recruited by UConn, but and then she left and went right, to didn't like didn't like the fit. Well, and she's also close yeah. to her sister and wanted to yeah. stay close to her. So, uh, yep. Whatever happened so, to her anyway? <laughs> you know what? What happened to Elena Delano? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know I can't put my finger on it. But you were so you were close to Delaware, but you settled on Providence. So I jumped I on you, but Providence. continue. Yeah, so I settled on Providence. I called him roughly about midnight my time, so like one o'clock his time. And uh, I played a prank on him, like, hey, coach, I just made a decision. And I kept acting like the phone broke up. I'm like, hey, can you hear me? He's like, yes, yes, I can hear you. Like, I was like, yes, I made a decision on what school I'm going to go to. I was like, can you hear me? He's like, yes, Brianna, I can hear you. I, I played a whole little prank for like five minutes. I did this, like acting like the call dropped. And then I let him know. <laughs> I was like, listen. And I let him know that I uh, made the decision to play at Providence College. And so that's what happened. And that's why I chose Providence. It was the coaching staff. And it was the best decision I ever made because when I got there on campus, I was like, I love this team. They were so fun. I love my teammates more than I love my coaching staff. Like, they were phenomenal. So, In a way, I'm impressed you were able to stick it out at Providence when you made your coach sit through five minutes of your pranking before you ultimately committed, another coach might have <laughs> rescinded the offer. I think because he really wanted me, right? Like, I'm a, I'm six one. I'm like a guard in a forward body. So, like, I get it. But I don't know. He thought it was funny to me, though. I thought it was hilarious. And we touched on this the last time I had you on with Tisa and Crystal. The conversation was different, but we touched on your career at Providence. Uh, you had a strong finish to it in your senior season. You know, maybe you didn't get the same accolades as your fellow Big East members at the time with Notre Dame. I think Louisville was mm -hmm. in there. Of course, you mentioned Maya Moore and UConn earlier. I've watched a little tape. So uh, you got to go against Moore and Tina Charles. I forgot Tiffany Hayes was on those teams. Brianna mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Stewart, all of them. Stewie was there? Skylar Diggins. Yeah, yes, so that's right. Think, so I played against Skylar Diggins. I played against, uh, whew, our conference was stacked. There's too many people to name. Bria Hartley, all of them. I've seen them so many times. That's right, Hartley. And I think Dolson, too, if I recall. Jewel, Jewel Lloyd. Lloyd. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Strickland. That's a bunch of them. Uh, it's a bu- It's too many athletes that came out of the Big East that went pro. Too many in today. <laughs> well, let's just say I'm glad UConn is back in the Big East. Uh, mm-hmm. Although n- now, thanks to my ties, I have some friends who play for other Big East schools and Marquette and Creighton, and now mm-hmm. uh, I'll get to see Paige Beckers go against them. They're excited, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you enjoyed it. So even if you didn't get the wins or the accolades or even the numbers that some of your Big East counterparts did. What did you enjoy most about Providence where you still look back on it fondly, you know, regardless of records and points and what have you? Can you ask that question again? I'm so sorry. I could like, my, I think my headphones are dying. Can you say it again? What did you enjoy most uh, from your experience at Providence? Even if you didn't get I mean, the records or the points that some other players did in the Big East? Um, I think what I enjoyed the most was experiencing the traveling. Like, we had 16 teams in our conference. So, we went, I've been as far as up to Maine to all the way to Florida. Like, I've been to every state on the East Coast just for basketball. We traveled a lot. Um, getting to meet some of the men athletes, like, you know, Chris Dunn being like my little brother, um, which he plays professional basketball. Marshawn Brooks being like my big brother, which he played professional basketball. You know, Bryce Cotton, who was a phenomenal athlete. That's like just the, he's like the Kobe Bryant in the Australia League. He's phenomenal. He's got like four MVPs, three championships. It's ridiculous. And so I think the players, the people that I got to meet, the athletes, uh, I have a couple of my guy friends who are, you know, they play professional soccer, you know, some hockey girls, hockey guys. I think that was the best experience there. Our college is so small that it created this like really close knit family. And we all worked out together in the summer. So our summers, we go there for, you know, from June, from June to, you know, the end of the beginning of August, we all, and we train the whole time. So we have this thing called 6 a.m., which is on uh, 6 a.m. workouts on Friday. So all of the athletes on Providence College worked out together every summer, one Friday out of the week, all of us. So it's like all of them, the men's players, hockey players, girls, softball, girls, track, swim, we're all out on the turf. You actually can find the workouts if you ever Google Providence College turf workouts. You'll find me doing a couple of interviews of our turf workouts. They were insane. We'd be on the turf for a couple hours working out together. So I think that was probably the best experience on um, the people that I met, 100%. And as you noted at the start, you did get the chance to play professionally for a season. Mm-hmm. I think you tried to give it another go or, or another season, but an injury sidelined you. But so actually, I can help you. So uh, yeah, I gave, yes, well, I you know yourself better than I do. No, 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 no. Yeah, I gave everyone that. That was the the technical reason that I told people. But injury never stopped me from going back overseas. Um, my sister suffers with an, uh, a cocaine addiction, and so um, she she struggled with one. And so I decided ultimately to give up basketball to help my mom take care of my sister's four kids. Um, so I ended my career. For my family, I, it wasn't that I couldn't keep playing. I could still kept playing. Uh, my injury didn't do anything. It was the same injury I had in college that I wound up playing four years on. And before I had another surgery, it was ultimately me making the decision to help my mom raise my sister's four kids. So I moved home to Minnesota for a year and a half. And so my mom adopted, the adoption was final. And then I wound up going back to finish my master's. And uh, then I moved home most recently for the same reason. My mom had a stroke last year. And so it made me realize that I had to come back home and help out a little bit more. So that's why I'm back in Minnesota helping my mom with my sister's children. I remember that. And I remember we talked not long after that happened and you 
told me or told everyone about your feeling of helplessness being yeah. miles away. You were getting your master's in Providence and working your way toward the PhD and then you know, a medical situation happens. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to imagine that was a scary situation and it got you back here. And so I'm glad we had the chance to meet now, not for the reasons I was hoping for, but <laughs> uh, how hard was it to give up the opportunity to go pro because I remember how excited you were to get that chance. Uh, Cause I think you were on a semi pro team. Yeah. I know in the interim, yep. The black ice. I remember that. Yeah. It was devastating to give up the thing that I love. Um, it was hard to make that decision because it's like, I worked so hard and I had another contract on, on the table. When I, I literally was home for two months and my agent sent me another contract and it was double the money that I was making prior and I had way more benefits. And I just told them no. And I was like, I can't leave my family. And do I regret it? I, at the time, I think at the time I was hurt and I was upset about it. It's, I'm losing all the natural sunlight. Um, hold on one second. Um, so it was hard because I'm like, man, that's who... I, I only identified myself as an athlete up to that time. And so I was extremely devastated because it, it kind of forced me into this like depression. Like I suffered with depression when I was in college my sophomore year, um, going through a really traumatic breakup. Um, the boy that I was dating um, wound up having a baby on me. My mom had a major surgery. Uh, my brother tried to commit suicide that year. Um, my other brother went back to prison and then my sister was struggling. And so I kind of, that's my first mental health kind of came about for me with my sophomore year in college. Um, they, they tried to put me on antidepressants and I had to see a psychologist and a therapist three times a week um, in order to return to what I was doing. No people, most people didn't know that that's how I was going through my sophomore year in college. But then when I stopped and I didn't have basketball anymore is when it really hit that I didn't know who I was without my sport. And so it was hard. It was really tough. Walking away from basketball was the toughest thing that I've ever experience in my life up to the date of me being 29. <laughs> I, I'm laughing not at you, but just at that closing statement. And you spoke of the mental health crises that mm -hmm. followed. I didn't realize you had one in college and mm -hmm. I can only imagine you experienced something similar earlier in your life, telling me about situations of you know, abuse before you even get to become a teenager. If you don't mind sharing, how hard was it? You said sophomore year, and then I remember you telling me about a similar circumstance just after you got out of college and then just a few months ago before you launched your seasoning and hair care products. And I don't bring it up to rehash or reopen old wounds or to bring back traumatic memories, but I bring it up because there may be future athletes, whether you coach them at Creighton Durham Hall or elsewhere, that may hear of your story or get the chance to know you. I know you've met a lot of people. You've talked right. about how small this basketball community is, and 
maybe there's another Brianna Edwards out there who is in need of some Absolutely. guidance. How hard that's was it? That's why I'm writing my book, yeah. by the way. You're right. Well, right. just, yep. so how difficult, how how, well, how, yeah, how difficult were those moments and how low did you get and what helped you get out of it, if you don't mind sharing that part about yourself? Um, those moments was extremely difficult. Uh, my sophomore year wasn't as hard because I didn't even know what was going on, right? Like you talk about someone that you think that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, right? Um, this is the first time I've ever been in love with somebody. And to know that this is something that I wanted to experience with him, he kind of trumped that by going back with his ex-girlfriend having a baby. Um, and then trying to bring me into the situation of me wanting to be the stepmom of the baby was even more traumatic like I I will, will always remember his daughter's his first daughter's birthday because he sent a picture of her to me while I was in school when she was born saying that I want you to be a part of my daughter's life so like that like hit the first part I'm like what the heck I really don't understand that but it was really really hard because I didn't ex sophomore wasn't as hard because I didn't know what was going on the second time around was really challenging. I spent that whole summer, um, sorry, I was knowing that one of these headphones was going to die eventually. Um, I, spent this, I spent my whole summer, uh, let me see if this one can get this one to work. Come on, headphones. Can you hear me? I can still hear you. Yep. I spent my whole summer looking for my sister, going into crack houses and scaring off drugs and listening to selling her drugs and looking for my nieces and nephews because it, they're not where they're supposed to be and um, trying to find myself without my sport. And I felt really, really low in my depression. Uh, so I was like, you know what? This is it. I can't live no more. I wrote a letter. I waited to like roughly like two, three o'clock in the morning. I knew that my mom was going to get up around like five thirty-six, so she'll be able to find me. And it wouldn't be, she'll be able to find me, but it wouldn't be, she wouldn't have no time to save me. I, I literally fully thought it out. Like, I'm going to take these pills and I'm just going to end it. And um, as I was sitting there crying, you know, I had my little letter in the till bottle in my hand. I started to pray. So I'm a God-fearing woman. I couple this all the time. You see, I always post my prayers on Facebook. Like I'm literally a God-fearing woman. And so um, I prayed and God gave me the word patience. And I was like, patience? What do you mean patience? Like I need things to change right now. This sucks. This is hard. This is challenging. I don't know who I am. I given up my entire life for my family and not going the way that I wanted to go. Um, so I got up, put the pills away, went to sleep, um, woke up the next day, went to work, like nothing happened, right? But the most recent thing happened. I think the pandemic was probably a part of it too. Um, I came home again, right? Giving up my identity. I worked so hard to establish who I was, right? I was a director. I'm making really great money. I have a, nice, a successful consulting business while I'm living in Rhode Island. I have a three-bedroom house. Um, I was just so, ha I was happy in a sense. I mean, I miss my family, but I was so, I was established. And to give up all of that again, to give up a $16,000 pay cut, to come back and live in my mother's home, I felt like I was really trying to find who I was. And so I just fell to a really dark depression. I wasn't happy. Um, I was, uh, I was upset a lot. I just didn't get things that was transpiring in my life. Um, and so but what helps me a lot is my faith, my faith in God and me praying and me being the added person to say, you know what, God, I need you in this moment. I may not go know what's going on in my soul, what's going on currently right now, but I just need some guidance and some grace. 
But yeah, for those who kind of suffer from mental health, it's an up and down roller coaster. It never kind of goes away. It's like an addiction, if you ask me. If I wanted to say what's parallel to comparing mental health, it's something like an addiction that it's something that you're always going to deal with. And I'm happy that my therapist that I've had, um, two therapists that I've went to, have gave me a phenomenal coping mechanism to make me recognize on why I have these. Um, so I was diagnosed a year and a half ago of being bipolar, and I knew I was. Um, so that was something that helped me understand that I'm always going to have these moods. And now that I know how to manage them, <clears throat> excuse me, prior I didn't even know why I had these moods. I had me really high one day, really low one day. So knowing that I'm bipolar, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense why I have these moods. And so the coping mechanism that I, she helped me develop was phenomenal. Um, I self-medicate so I don't take drugs. I do not think medication helps. Like I did not take the antidepressants. I barely take the medication that's for my migraines. I just feel that you're able to heal your body. And so, you know, me meditating, me praying, um, that's the things that kind of help me through all my mental health struggles. How long did it take for you to get comfortable enough to a point where you were willing to share those stories because you spoke of how you were ready to end your life uh, coming out of mm -hmm. college and then just went at it normally. And I don't think there's any two exact copies when it comes to depression and thoughts of suicide, no two cases are alike. How long did it take for you to share that? And how did those close to you, you know, how did they react? And this may seem like a weird question. How do you think it helped make you stronger with what you're able to do now? I'll answer first. How did my family react? They were devastated. Um, extremely devastated. Um, one of my closest cousins to me, which I post her a lot on my social media, um, she she cried. Uh, she cried because, uh, like, most recently, I didn't even tell anybody. I might post the video that I made because this time I did a video. Like this most recently in in February when I thought about ending my life, I made a video. And I told her I wanted her to watch it because the reason why I did it this time was because of her. Because um, I, I think that I was like, okay, my family will be okay. But I knew that she has lost so many people that it would have been selfish of me to be another person. The reason I take a deep breath is I felt myself about to cry. Because me and her cried about this when I told her. I felt that if I was to not be here, it would be another individual that was taken from her. And so knowing that she lost her mother knowing that she lost her grandmother and knowing that what I mean to her would have been selfish of me, right? And so, um, yeah, so my family didn't take it well. My mom, she still doesn't take it well. Uh, she always makes sure, are you okay? Is everything okay? Like, is your mental health good? Like, you're good. Your family doesn't know how to deal with your own mental health. They don't get it. They don't understand your struggles. They're like, what do you mean? Like, your life should be perfect. Looking from the outside in, people would think that my life is phenomenal. I should be extremely ecstatic on the things that I'm going through in my life, but it's not the case, right? Um, and why I felt that it was important for me to tell my story and when I became comfortable was when I started working with college students. When I seen that there were so many college students that were struggling with mental health and they had no idea how to do it. And so I started sharing with my story with them first because I was like, I felt that it was my, my testimony was needed to be shared with them to help them. I started coming across students who were going through the same things that I was going through, that I went through, 
right? Like my last school I went through was that I had a student who I was really close with who, you know, was sexually assaulted as a young girl and she didn't know how to work herself to do that. And the funny thing is she kind of helped me identify that I was like, you know, you know that things happen to you, but it's like an out-of-body experience. And I kind of suppressed me being molested by my stepbrother um, for so long. But at 28 is when I realized that it was me that it happened to as I'm talking to a student, like me telling her my experience to help her work through those different things. And, you know, she takes medication and her therapy. So I felt like it's strength in your lowest moments because in reality, it, we went through these things for a reason. And I really think that I went through all these things because God wanted me to be able to help somebody else through what they were going through. And so that's why I started to probably talk about my mental health because people could only, if I was to be able to show how many times someone reaches out to me and tells me that they appreciate my story, you would be like, wow, that's crazy. There's so many people that go through mental health struggles, like will come up to me like, I'm happy that you shared this. And so I think that's the reason why I do it. And a point you touched on, it's a common refrain whenever I hear my circle of friends or public figures discuss their journeys and we're seeing more professional athletes open up, Kevin Love and Kayla McBride recently and so many others, but the illusion, what you project on the outside, that exterior, because as in my research, I do a lot of reading. So I read a lot of articles and columns, not as many books as I would like, but oftentimes people will conceal their feelings or hide them behind a shield because they don't want others to pick up on it or they're afraid that people will start trying to get away or intervene and maybe they, they just don't want, <laughs> they don't want to bring attention to themselves or feel like they're creating right, a like, distraction. Is that something absolutely. you experienced or? Yeah, I suppress a lot. Like thinking about my mom has only seen me physically realistic cry like three or four times. She's been my mom my entire life. I was the kid that tried to remain level-headed and be calm and don't talk about your feelings, Brianna, because everyone else is going through something worse, right? And so I suppressed it. And my therapist, um, I think her book will be coming out soon. She's writing a book called uh, Where Does the Rock Go for Help? So the person's like the strong individual of their family. And so I felt like I had to be strong all the time, but sometimes the strongest people are the ones that's going through the most. And so like, that's why I'm like, all right, I have to make sure that I am telling my, like, being transparent, I don't want my nieces and nephews and my future children to think that, that they don't, they can't be vulnerable or express what they're going through, So I don't want them to be in a position that I was in, but I think I'm doing great, I think I'm phenomenal now, I'm so thankful to be in a better space, um, it took a lot of me praying and self-reflecting and some soul-searching to get to this point, but I'm happy. How hard was it to open up your feelings because it, it's a really vulnerable part about yourself and it's certainly not something you would say when you first introduce yourself, I imagine. <laughs> it's not an easy subject to talk about, it never is, but to go from this strategy of suppression, as you said, to project a feeling of strength, to realizing that perhaps, as you were alluding to, well, maybe you, had the biggest need of them all uh, when you were saying others are going through something worse and then you know maybe it 
I have to imagine there's a point in that timeline where it hits you that maybe I'm the one who's in need of help here. Mm -hmm. I think it hit me when I realized, I was like, wow, I have nobody to talk to about my problems. Like, I didn't want to tell my mom what I was experiencing because she wouldn't internalize it, it being that she caused it. Because, you know, parents, they want to protect you. I didn't want to tell my friends because they were already going through what they were going through. Um, didn't have a significant other that I could talk to about it. So it's like, uh, it's like, you know, I have to realize it. And a lot of times, and I'm, this is something for people who are supporting their family members who are having mental health struggles, just be there and love on them. But you can't change what's going on. It's going to take the individual themselves to say, hey, I want it to be different. Like, I have to make a conscious decision to say, hey, Brianna, I want this to be different. I no longer want to continue to be battling with my mental health. I want to overcome this. I want to be happy. I don't want to continue to have to go up and down with my emotions. So it was hard, but now it's even, it's so easy now. I said all the time, yep, I thought about suicide twice. I mean, I wrote a little bit, I did the video, I did this, I did that. And they're like, what? What do you mean? And so it's like, how are you so, how is it so easy for you to talk about it? I said, because I overcame that story. Like, that's not, it's a part of me, but it's not who I am now. So, yeah. You mentioned others coming up to you and expressing their gratitude that you were willing to share your story. I'm not sure how familiar your players, whether you worked with them in college or high school, I don't know how familiar they are with your background, but what have you gotten out of your coaching experience and when you have that opportunity to you know, relay to these next generation of athletes, the next group of kids at Creighton Durham Hall and elsewhere, well, I know you're also good friends with a few buddies, at, you know, a few players at De La Salle as well. What kind of advice, feedback, how do you think your story is able to help them when they approach you about the struggles they're encountering? It's being an outlet for them. Like, when I tell you every, every chapter of my life, I've ran into someone who has been through something that I've already overcame. Whether it's my mental health challenges, whether it's me struggling with my academics, like, every instant when I come to a different chapter of my life I get there's an athlete there's a student there's a friend there's somebody that needs someone to help them navigate this and so it made sense for me I'm like all right God I get why I went through what I went through it was all necessary for me to be able to help this baby through it because they don't have someone to be able to help them and so that's what it is like I I'm so transparent I'm the most transparent especially with athletes um, because there is an identity thing. And I'm super excited about this book that I'm writing. Um, I can't wait for people to read it because it's going to be a guide. Uh, a guide, I'm writing it from a player's perspective, from player's perspective, but it's going to be something to give to coaches so that the coaches can understand how to help their student athletes. So, so that they don't have to go through, if you look at the statistics of mental health challenges among former athletes, it will blow your mind the attempted suicide, people who have committed suicide from professional athletes all the way down to just, you know, mom, uh, you know, uh, you know, the little t-ball, everyone's going through this thing and no one's addressing the issue with student athletes. You know what, you said it would blow my mind. And in a way, I'm thinking it wouldn't, not because I'm immune or numb or naive or oblivious to the circumstances that face athletes, but you know, I, you, you know, I've been a broadcaster reporter for a long time and 
think I told you about one case where I had a parent try to start some nonsense with me because I wasn't talking enough about his daughter in a broadcast that had happened long before. So I'm aware oh of the politics and the pressure Man, that so much just, pressure that we just dump on these athletes without realizing that they're not robots. These are real Human. developing Human minds me. that are impressionable. And if we're not careful, they can succumb to that pressure. You know, you almost did for different reasons, but you know, we were joking about the following you would get if you and Taylor Hill and some other members from your group, uh, Mandy Polk, I think was another one, Megan Knight, you know, all great players. I remember covering them in AAU or high school ball and small world <laughs> with, you know, Mandy and PJ having kids. Mandy Hill, sorry, Mandy Hill. My yes, thought. she Amanda was Pope. She was Pope. Now she's Hill, but well, we, we, her mate. I, I think. Well, we're half right. Or does mate name count? Or yeah, Pope <laughs> Hill, Flash Hill. She's <laughs> married now. So. Yes, yes. Uh, and I've joked that I'm going to be covering members of the Hill family until I die or get old. And Monique is like, well, let's hope okay. you get old first. But. In one instance, it's like yes, maybe you would have gotten a bigger offer than Providence, although you don't regret it. You had the chance to meet Doris Burke, if I recall, and yep, uh, you had a great four years. Yep. So yeah, Doris Burke, the pride of Providence. And I know every time she's covering the NBA final, she's always trending on she Twitter. Like, <laughs> every single time. And I love it. And it's, and in my head, I'm going, yep, that's Providence, sir. <laughs> she's still got some handles too, but at the same time, we also got to grow up with a little bit of a shield or a little bit of a barrier because our every move wasn't being broadcast. Mm -hmm. You saw with Paige Beckers, she had film crews, same thing with Jalen Suggs. I can't can't go anywhere. Well, and I didn't help because I covered some Hopkins games too, but I'd already developed a rapport with some of the parents by that point. But everywhere I went, with Minnehaha and Jalen Suggs or Hopkins and Paige Beckers. There were at least two or three camera ops set up underneath the basket she was scoring at, uh, post highlights. And And it's not like you talking about, just like those cameras. Imagine how many times people are taking side photos of them. They don't even know they're getting pictures taken of them. Right. And, and, And to their credit, they never made it about themselves. So when I would see them uh, talk about or share their stories or articles, you know, it was never look at what I'm doing. They were always happy to share the things or in the midst of our civil unrest uh, discussions right. following George Floyd, you saw Paige and Jalen speak their mind about it. But going back to the original point, you know, your kids, I imagine at Creighton Durham Hall, they go through that, whether it's the scrutiny that comes with where they're going to go to college, if they're getting any offers mm-hmm. or even sometimes uh, overzealous competitiveness that comes with, you know, records and performance. I know Creighton Durham Mall didn't have the best season last year. Yeah. Uh, and as from what I can tell, it didn't bother a whole lot of folks, but there are some who would look at those records and start wondering, are folks going to notice my kid? And I think that you were saying being transparent, I'm hoping more folks like take up your approach, take your game plan because that's my biggest fear going forward. You know, we had a great senior class this past year, and we know there's going to be more you know, coming uh-huh. up. We have a pretty He's deep class. class. 
that eighth grade class is something cool. That eighth grade class right now is scary. And even next year, even this upcoming senior class, uh, Alexis mm -hmm. Pratt comes to mind or Dahlia McKenzie, who's going to mm -hmm. Illinois. And just down the line, the junior class with Maya Najee and Amaya Battle and Taylor Woodson, I know I keep name dropping Hopkins, but it's my biggest fear is that the parents who get caught up in this vicarious living through their kids aren't going to realize that it's going to put an intense you see me, level see, of you pressure. See me in my, you, see, you see me make a Facebook message about that a couple times of living through their children. I've talked about it a couple times to people. I said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's your child's life, not yours. Um, I think that's problematic, but I mean, you can't control it. It's their kid. That's like someone telling me how to coach my team. You can't control me to tell me how I'm going to coach my team. Um, but it's problematic because what you're doing is you're forcing your child. Maybe your child doesn't even want to play basketball. I know so many athletes that are really good that, yeah, they enjoy basketball, but their parents enjoy it a lot more than they do. And that's problematic for them because what they're going to do is they're creating this unnecessary pressure or tension on their athlete, on their child that it doesn't need to exist. And so I hope um, parents are mindful of the pressures that they put on their, 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 their babies. Talk to them. Let them, know, let them know that they are more than just an athlete. Give them an avenue. Like, let them know that they can also paint, too. They can major in art or something in college. They can become... Like, you become a veterinarian if you don't want to go. Like, I know so many great athletes. One of my former teammates, she got drafted to WBA, but she also wanted to go to medical school. And she's in her residencies right now. And so, like, uh, so, yeah, she wound up transferring. You're like, oh, what's teammate? She transferred to James Madison, and she got drafted by the Atlanta Dream. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so she's in, med she's in medical school now. So you're more than just your sport, and that's ultimately the goal of my book is that we're more than just athletes. We're humans. Uh, us being athletes that gave us a different experience in life and exposure, but we're same with the same as everybody else. What was the culture like when you were making your way through high school? Because as we were saying, we had a little more of a shield when I started broadcasting in college. It was just YouTube. Twitter and Instagram really weren't yeah. a thing yet. And while it certainly would have helped promote ourselves or get more exposure, I also feel at the same time, it protected us too, because you're not worried about how many likes or how many views you're getting on social media. And of course, you, 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 and you went to a school, so it wasn't like you were this prodigy that came out of nowhere. I guess in a way you were when you said how awful you were, but you know, nobody <laughs> gets it right on the first try. Even Taylor Hill yeah. and Paige and Rachel Banham, you know, had to start somewhere, right? But what was the attitude like? I know North, again, synonymous with basketball talent, mm -hmm. and you had Faith, and, of course, another member of that coaching staff who I'm good friends with, Liesl, Liesl you know, Von The head coach now at uh, Coach Stark, head coach at Hopkins. Tara, yes. My, I actually, actually never said this publicly, but I, um, I uh, owe my career to, to Tara Stark. Tara, Tara, Tara. Uh, I said Tara, I'm in trouble. Yeah, no, so yeah, so Tara starts, I owe my career to her. Um, the coach that challenged me the most, that got in me consistently from the time that she met me in eighth grade, always my senior year, that was the coach that I talked to. So, you know, everyone has their coach. Everyone has the person that coaches them. Yes, I played for um, Coach Johnson. It's not, not no, not Coach Johnson, Patterson, Faith Johnson, Patterson. 
it's just being real. Um, Coach Starks was the one that I talked to when it came to, okay, what's my game plan? What am I going to do? Okay, they're not listening. What am I supposed to do? She was that person that pushed me. If you ever see when I ever was on a bench for a break, I'm sitting next to her and she's in my ear. She's talking to me. So I owe my career to her. That lady was the one that first made me believe that I can be great. Like I was, I came in eighth grade, I was playing freshman and she pulled me up to play JV minutes. And I'm like, what? Girl, I don't know, play no basketball. So Coach Starks was the individual that literally put in the time to coach me. And then I had some great supporting cast. Doug Lemon, he trained me. Um, Liesl's, um the father of her child, his name was Irv. He was my shooting coach. He's the reason why my jump shot got to the way that it was. Coach T helped me on my footwork and my post moves. And so, um, yeah, that, 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 uh, them, the culture there was that they wanted to build phenomenal athletes, but there was coaches who focused on solely also making us phenomenal women. If you think about it, all the athletes that went to college, I think I would say, I'm going to say all, cause I don't know who have it, but a lot of us all have degrees and we all graduated college and we're coming from North high school. We have master's degrees. Peace is about to finish her PhD, you know, so it's like, we are we created phenomenal women and uh it wasn't just all about basketball well kind of but it wasn't that as much about basketball as it is now but i think these kids now that's all they have and me not being a part of social media saved my life because i can only imagine me fighting and someone posting a video online of me fighting or me getting arrested i mean me in handcuffs of because something that's transpiring with some like and it's all it's on twitter uh, Brianna, Minneapolis North Star, Brianna was arrested, or Minneapolis Star, Brianna. I can only imagine the the level of privacy that I would not have. <laughs> so I'm thankful because uh, I'm happy that there's no documentation of the things that I did. I was gonna say, did that really happen? What did that like the stuff you were just saying? Did that really happen to you? Uh, me being handcuffed, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> me fighting, absolutely. <laughs> I'm learning more about you than I've ever had. And you know what, it wouldn't, it doesn't change a thing. I think, well, you and I have known each other well enough that like, and you're not the only athletes who went through that. Who was it? There was another athlete who went to Wisconsin and is going to be inducted in their hall of fame who said the same thing. Like, yeah, my past wasn't great, but without it, there's no me. So Okay, well, not, without it, it's no me at all. Right, right. So it's like, yeah, I'm not proud of it, but if I didn't go through yeah, it, who, right, well, I mean, and just what you, even what you had said, it reminded me back in the season opening weekend from last year, you know, I covered a game where a fight did break out, and uh, there was everyone I talked to, and I would, we all thought the same thing, we're like, yeah, let's hold off, and for the very reasons you spoke of, because I'm thinking, I'm not judge, jury, or executioner. I don't have any disciplinary power. What happens exactly. if I post it? College and the pros, it's a little different because you have more live stream and you know more of a microscope and you know, you're considered adults, I guess. So uh, I think we just view it as you're more capable of your own decision-making, mm -hmm. but yeah, I remember that because you had told me there were some clips that surfaced anyway, and I'm just like, well, mine isn't going to be one of them because of what you said. Then we're not looking at yourself or others as athletes. We're looking at, oh, just another thug. Sorry, I 
Yeah, I think you know what I'm saying. No, honestly, no. I, no, I didn't know. What you're saying? I mean that by example, right? not as no, 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 no. a term what to. What you saying? Yeah, not not a term to be offensive. I, it's absolutely correct. And so I'm happy that I didn't grow up in that era. Uh, I'm happy that I grew up in the era that I grew up in because it gave me a certain level of privacy that I needed to be able to make my mistakes in private. That being said, you were quite the rebel in high school. I had no idea. I know. <laughs> How in college, my my teammates and I got into a brawl in a club in college. What? Wait, my what? entire team. Mm-hmm. And if our college coach would have found this out, I ain't gonna say what year, so I'm not out any of what players on the team. No, and, 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 and I don't want you to, but it's just like. But it was, what? About, ten, it was about ten of us. It was about ten of us that got into a brawl in a club in Providence. And I was one of the 10. That's all I'm going to say. But they like, why is she out there talking, telling this much? Yep, it was about 10 of us. And all five starters, me, I was one of the starters. All five of the starters was one of the 10 people fighting. So we would have had no season <laughs> if the police did not know that we were the athletes and they gave us a pass. You, you well, I'm going to say, you've gotten a few passes over the years. I'm, I'm just trying I mean, to wrap I've my head around it. Well, and you know what, you know, <laughs> without those chances, who knows what would have happened, but I'm just trying to wrap my head okay. around it because... Can you see this article, news article now? Providence basketball, women's basketball team arrested for a night, for a night brawl. <laughs> well, and hey, stuff has happened. I remember too, like Diana Tarazi when she got arrested for a DWI and she owned up to it. I remember her first press conference and just took it head on and move forward and uh so it's not just you i mean we see it happen i know yeah, odyssey, we all make mistakes all right odyssey since went through that too and but you know, it's like again it goes back to how do you respond to it but like wow what are you are we were one rebellious individual back then uh, i don't know what you did but uh to to uh move past that but uh it, it's impressive i'm I'm I still out I'm at a loss words. And, and, and right? I'm, it's like, and I'm guessing there, this is just a taste of some of the stuff you did in high school oh, yeah, and college. Like, it's, it's if you get around to that work. book, I could see you could devote a few chapters to all this dumb, okay, dumb shit. Sorry. It, it, cover your ears if you don't like uh, curse words, but it, it's. Like, uh, no, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, I've, I mean, I've done some stupid things too, but uh, from a different, on a different plane of existence. Uh, but man, I'm like, was there anything that didn't happen to you? That's what I'm wondering now. Yeah, yeah, but you're waiting for the book. But no, <laughs> I truly appreciate our conversations and uh, this opportunity for allowing me to come and talk to you. It was super great. It was great. And I know that we can go on for hours. And I'm like, I'm not going to be the person that says that I have Mike Peden's longest video on his YouTube channel. <laughs> I am not going to be that <laughs> Well, there were a couple of things I wanted to address. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and it's okay if this is the longest one. I had Nia on for three hours. So <laughs> it's amazing when two friends get together and all the stories you share. But what led you into coaching? I know you coached for a season at Marinette that came back to Creighton Durham Hall. And I know you have ties with Crystal. I can't remember when the two of you first met. I think maybe it was when you were playing and she was officiating, but you know, she reached That's out. That's the first time she's seen me, yeah. 
I know she reached out. She's done the same with Nia. And you know, she's real in tune with the Twin Cities community. I think I even said, kind of like Kwame and Mitch McDonald, you don't, you know, you know, you're from the Twin Cities if you know Crystal Flint, because he has a presence throughout the area. I saw her at the last AAU tournament in Shakopee. And, you know, she and I have known each other for 10 years now. uh, But what led you to get into coaching and what have you enjoyed most about it? I've always been a player's coach. So um, I see the game a lot different than other athletes. Like I can break down a game. Like I will sit there and I can understand the patterns and the trends. And that was me as an athlete. Like I'm like, all right, I can tell who what defense they're in right away. I was like, I was always a coach on the floor as a player. So it was an easy transition. Um, Coaching, I always wanted to give back in some form. But it's a lot harder to coach than it is to be a player because you can't control the game as much as you could as an athlete. Like I now can, um, I can control the game a lot better when I play versus me being a coach. What I enjoy is the relationships that I built with all my athletes, 100%. Is that something you see yourself developing, becoming perhaps a head coach or what right now, other visions? I don't want or... to. Okay. Because I, I remember when all those coaching jobs opened up, everyone kept asking me, a lot of people hit me up, are you going to have to do this job? Are like, you going to have to do this job? And I'm like, the Hopkins jobs, no. there were some big openings, Como Park. I was like, no, because I think Alexis, she asked me about, you know, if I was going after the Como Park job because I knew that she was leaving. Um, someone asked if I was going to have to do this job. I don't want that responsibility right now. Um, I have a lot going on and there's a lot of things that come with being a head coach and running a program. I just like, I just want to coach. I don't want to have all the extra stuff. I don't want to have to deal with the parents. Not saying my, our parents at Green Durham Hall are, are not great parents. I just don't want that responsibility right now. I just don't have enough room on my plate to be in a position. Do I have the the skills? Coach Grimm tell me all the time. She always makes jokes. Well, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have Rihanna on my staff because he always says that I'll make a great head coach, but I just don't want to do it right now. And you mentioned wanting to get back into your podcast. You're writing some books. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I, we've called some games together. You know, you were looking into that for some time. Is a media enterprise still in the works? I know you, you are investing your energy into a lot of different enterprises, but yeah. it, I would say you're trying to build a foundation for your own uh, media brand if you know if you know what I mean absolutely ultimately my biggest goal for myself I said when I was a kid and I'm going back to it now I've always wanted my own talk show um it's not just uh you know it's not just me um talking sports I can talk about anything when someone asks me questions about my idea my opinion about politics or my opinion when it comes to race and gender sexism, all those different things. Those are things that I'm an information junkie. I like researching and reading things and talk about them. I like engaging in dialogue and debating. And so honestly, that's what I'm trying to do now. Yes, I love running my businesses. Won't never say that I won't. I don't like love running my businesses. But what I really, really, truly enjoy is this, engaging in dialogue, being able to express my opinion. I don't want to do the production side. So that's when that comes into play. Like, all right, how am I going to produce a show? What is that going to look like? Do I want to partner with somebody? Do I want to relaunch Talking Spit? But the media enterprise is definitely probably my number one goal right now just because that's what I like. I love doing the most. That's like what I'm most passionate about. And if you don't mind, 
where are you at with your autobiography? I know you talked about getting into fiction as well, but how far along are you? And what excites you the most about getting this opportunity to tell your story without a filter, without someone else asking the questions? You know, you get a chance to be as transparent as you want to be. I am, I finished the prologue. So that's the beginning phases of the book, but I have do have my chapter outline. So I'm going to do it as a three-part series because it's going to be too long for me to do it because I'm doing it as an urban fiction. So the reason why I can say that it could be fiction is because I'm changing the names, of course. So that's going to automatically make it fiction. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm going to do it as an urban fiction. So it's going to be more so like telling the story of me as a character. Uh, so me being a character, me talking about my parents in third person, um, of them being characters as well, my, my situations, which, whatever transpired in my life, people that I hung out with. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with urban fiction books, but it's going to be very urban fiction-like. Um, and so when people do ask me questions, and they say, well, which part of the book is true? I go, well, this story is true. This story is true. Um, I'm very, I'm a creative. I love, big, I write poetry in my free time. Um, so I'm very like, uh, I like talking about things differently. So yeah. But yeah, that's what I am with that one. Um, my outline for my my um, my athlete's book, uh, which I can give you the title because I paid for it. It's mine. It's called Diary of a Mad Athlete, What They Didn't Tell Us. And um, yeah, because it's going to just be a bunch of stories of athletes. And we're going to just kind of go through what was frustrating, the highs, the lows. Um, I started at the beginning of the book just talking about the great things of being an athlete. And it's going to take an ugly turn. It's going to be some ugly truths that a lot of coaches may not want to hear. But I'm taking some former professional athletes, some people who played Division One, people that played JUCO, and I'm just going to take all of our stories and combine them into one. I'm going to be conducting interviews just to get our perspective and say what they, what should, they, what should have they told us, and how would that have been helpful? And then the last chapter will probably be like ways to support a student athlete that's going through identity crisis. Yeah, so that first one is more of a semi-autobiography, uh, mm -hmm. and I've actually met some authors. One was an old friend of mine who did that with her first book where she told her life story, but changed the names to, you know, protect the people protect, that she cared yeah. about. And I'm sure, you know, when it goes to the editing process, it may take another form or you know, who knows what ideas will come of it. I'm also curious, Brianna, did you ever reload all the Drake songs you deleted from your phone last year? Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't. That is so funny. That was a curveball. I don't know. I honestly listen to a different type of music. Uh, I listen to a lot of different music. I kind of just kind of... That whole cancel thing is... I won't even go into that one. I'm not even going to discuss that one. The whole cancel thing is just... It's absurd. I mean, I understand why, but I'm like, whatever. That's where I'm at. I'm in the whatever phase. So. Well, and to clarify, the only reason I think you canceled it was because of the Raptors Warriors finals yeah. last year. So it wasn't anything yeah. that Drake did. It was just, well, yeah. you and I, again, we have several mutual friends. And so we were just laughing our butts off, not at you, but just looking, <laughs> watching the shade you were throwing. But again, it goes back oh, to how yeah. big a basketball fan you were. Well, because, you know, yeah, you were a Warriors fan and Toronto gets the title and uh, but it was just funny. Uh, but I think that's why you know, you're a great guest for other podcasts because it's clear you care about this stuff and you're not afraid to <laughs> really, I'm not, defend I'm not your afraid. teams. 
going back to the coaching staff at Creighton Durham Hall, you know, a lot of former players, of course, you can't put them all together because uh, they all grew up in different eras. But mm-hmm. if you had like a one-on-one or a two-on-two, if you had a way to make it happen, how do you think it would turn out? Because you've got four D1 athletes that I know of. There may be more. One of them missed basketball. You know, yourself had a fine career at Minneapolis North. You had Crystal, who is part of the first Gophers team to reach the NCAA tournament, and Tisa, who uh, she doesn't remember this as well as maybe the we do, but I guess she was quite the post player back then. How do you think it would turn out? Or who would draft who? I guess that's another thought. You, Nia, Tia, or Tia, Tisa, and Crystal. Oh, that, that would be interesting, especially we got to train, though. So that'd be, that'd be, but it'd be a nice game, though. That I can tell you. It would be a really nice game, depending on, but I don't, I think Nia would have the upper hand right now. That she's the most fresh athlete out, but well, that'd be interesting. What would you like to close with as far as advice, feedback, tips? We've talked about a lot, and we discussed some heavy topics as well, you know, especially with your mental health and how you know your life could have gone in a much different direction, or it could have ended long before you accomplished what you set out to do. Yeah. With all of that experience at your disposal, what would you say to others who may be going through a similar struggle? I would say um, that life is movement, and every movement is necessary, whether it's the good or the bad of whatever is going on, what's transpiring. And I think when you stay the course and you stay safe, no matter if you believe in God or whatever your religious preference is, um, that you have to be very, very patient and trusting the process and trusting that everything is going to work out regardless of what you want to do this is very transferable to athletes to your everyday person your nine to five person that it may be hard it may not see that you can you may not seem that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel but ultimately when you persevere and you continue to be resilient the the outcome is more than you can imagine so what i would say is continue to keep keeping the faith um staying strong work your butt off do what you have to do to accomplish all the things that you want and realize that you are your worst and best, best your worst enemy and also the, your best supporting cast. If you don't believe in yourself, no one will ever believe in yourself. And so that's what I would say. Believe in yourself, trust the process, remain patient, remain resilient, and kick butt while you're doing it. Well, when you're ready to publish your books or if you start the talk show, I would love to come on. I can't, Absolutely. You're I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I can't discuss the NBA as thoroughly as you can, but I'll do my best. Uh, I'm more of a casual fan. No, you're <laughs> fine. It won't well. just be the NBA. I'll have a bunch of different <laughs> things. Cause you, the crazy thing is that you don't tell your story enough either. Everyone just thinks that you do sports, but no one knows what your struggles are. And you know, you're, you're disclosed to me what your struggles are. Right. And so I think it would be, inspiring for people who are in your same situation when it comes to your actual diagnosis and I think that it will help them move forward in their life so you need to be a person that need to be a little bit more transparent about your experiences so that people can know that there's people who aspire to be in your position but they don't think that they can because they have the same diagnosis that you have and so um, I don't want you to be a person that limits yourself to just thinking that you can talk about sports you have your own individual story that will be very beneficial to others and inspiring so well i do hope i get the opportunity to share it at some point but you can do it on your own you have (laughs) a platform mike well 
you know what I'm saying though, right? Uh, yeah, no, no, it, I get it, it, but I just think that I think that you would be a perfect person to do it to even start a foundation that is solely focused on writing and educating people the correct way on ways to um, function the way that you function. So um, you, you're so, you're so, you have, you have so many different things and avenues that you can go down. You just have to like tap into them. But that's a whole nother conversation for us offline um, that we could talk about ways to do that for yourself. But I think that would be something that you would be phenomenal at and could be a phenomenal spokesperson for people that struggle with the same things you struggle with. Something tells me we might have a little bit of that conversation after I stop this live stream. <laughs> I forgot that I told you about that. So I, I you have a, a very detailed memory. Absolutely. I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised though, after Absolutely. listening to your podcast Friday, I, I, there's probably not a whole lot that can slip past you. Uh, but yeah. uh, no, you're right. And it is difficult to talk about yourself, and I imagine it wasn't easy to talk about yourself either. And yeah, you know, we both have things that aren't easily <laughs> approachable. It's not something I'm guessing you know in conversation, but you can just approach somebody first time you meet them and be like, "Oh, by the way, I'm bipolar." Like what? <laughs> you know what right? I'm saying? You're like, huh? <laughs> but no, but not definitely. <laughs> but but no, uh, I truly appreciate you, Mike. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I'm excited um, that I'm just going to claim it that we're going to be working together soon on um, the other individual podcast that we talked about earlier. That would be great because you'll see me on there. So you get the way that you can work with me and then you can also help me with the things that I have because you're phenomenal in what you do. And I need help with a lot of different things with launching, relaunching my podcast slash talk show. So no, we'll be working with each other from time to time. So Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate this. This was phenomenal. We always have a great time when we talk. And so, thank you. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to continuing the conversations in whatever form they take. Although I will say Absolutely. in that last part, Brianna, you may have to get in line because there's some other former players who have reached out to me about ideas they want to put into practice. They don't got no, they don't got no, they don't <laughs> got no clout over me. I am not. I am are, are you sure? Okay, I, 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 do y'all hear me? Okay. Unless it's my amour calling you. Everybody else, y'all might take a back seat. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, it's not my amour, but the other folks have some street cred. You might be surprised to find out who they are. Uh, so... so they're going to take a seat. They're going to have to leave. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard I, time. You, you'd be surprised at who else has uh, reached out to me because they think I actually know something when I really don't. I've just been faking you it You do. Whole time. Give, yourself, give yourself more credit. <laughs> I'm just as completely, I'm just a total hack. No, no, no. I'm, there's no, I, I, I'm impressed. Like it amazes me the number of parents and even athletes who I'll never forget last year, one of them, recognize me from YouTube and it's like, you might be, uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Cause I don't do it for I mean, recognition. I do. You see, do it because you love it and you well, enjoy it. I, I so. want to promote you. I don't care about me. I want people right. to hear about your story. So it's always weird when people <laughs> recognize me because I'm like, I'm not the star, but I'll take it. <laughs> At least it's not a punch to the face. Right. Right. Well, thank <laughs> but, you so much, Mike. Yes. I appreciate you. Um, I look forward to us working together more and uh, the future. And I know that what I'll do is we'll set our time. This is totally off camera. We'll set our time when we have to discuss other op uh, other projects and stuff like that. So 
Yes, well, once again, Brianna Edwards, former professional athlete, graduate of Providence College. Hopefully you'll see her on the sidelines this winter at Creighton Durham Hall. Uh, we'll certainly see her on the sidelines again at some point. Otherwise, uh, keep your eyes peeled for her talk show and book projects whenever they become public, I'm sure we'll know. And I know you keep a social media profile on Facebook and Instagram. So I imagine that's a one way your followers can stay in yep. touch with you. Yep, yep. And don't forget, uh, look for her on the Huddle Up podcast. I'm sure there'll be some NBA finals discussions with her Lakers Good team. One. <laughs> well, you know, the Lakers will still be there when LeBron leaves. Yeah. But <laughs> as we said at the start, it's not the player himself, but again, a whole nother conversation. You and I could go on for hours. So, and absolutely. If you, and if you want to be a guest on a future episode and talk spit uh, like Brianna does, or throw compliments my way when I don't see them coming, uh, I'm ha I'll happily take them. Uh, just reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at bmikepeden or by email tsvtelevision at gmail.com. But I want to thank all of you for tuning into this live edition of Mike Up Sports. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mic'd Up Sports.